0: We're in Acts chapter 16 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 34 of Acts chapter 16. The book of Acts is in the New Testament. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. So that's in the back half of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. I cheat because I use my bookmark so I can open right to it. Acts 16, verses 25 through 34. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. This should sound familiar because we looked at this passage last week as well. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly... There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Now, as I said last week, we, we looked at this, or as I said earlier, we looked at this passage of Scripture last week. And last week, we kind of looked at the Scripture as a whole. and We talked about how it is that we are to respond when we're mistreated and, and how this whole passage of Scripture lends itself to that. because. Paul and Silas were mistreated as they were beaten and thrown in jail. And and then we kind of looked at their response to that. And uh, I was debating on whether to go into into chapter 17, but as I kind of read back over the chapter a a few more times, I thought, you know what, Uh, I really want to focus in on this passage of scripture uh, where the Philippian jailer uh, believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I've entitled this message, The Most important question and I want to deal with this morning the most important question that we could ever ask now last week I told a joke and it didn't go over very well so you'd think that I would learn but I didn't and uh, so so uh, I thought you know what I'm gonna start off with a joke this morning so um, if you don't laugh that's okay it'll be all right I don't have just one funny thing I have two so I'm, I'm really trying to get a laugh this morning, but uh, there was a young man that went in for an interview, and uh, he had applied for a job, and the interview asked him this question: If you could have a conversation with someone living or dead, who would it be? And the young man paused and thought for a little bit, and he responded, "The living one." Uh-huh. See, my wife said, it's not that funny. I, was, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> the Boston Globe, which carries a daily column designed to answer readers' queries, listed the top 10 unanswerable questions. Here's one of the questions. I am nine years of age, and I have a cat that eats regularly, and the cat needs to go on a diet. He also eats mice, and uh, mice when he's out hunting around. How many calories are in a mouse. (laughs) Our world is filled with questions. We ask questions, we hear questions. These questions may not be important and sometimes these questions are very important. However, there are times in our lives when we are so focused on things that we think are important that we do not really stop and consider what is really important. And in our passage of scripture this morning, This Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas the most important question that anyone could ever ask. And he said this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, that may not strike you as an important question this morning and perhaps perhaps, Your question this morning is how can I make more money or how can I find a job or how can I find a boyfriend or a girlfriend or how can I help my spouse understand me or how do I raise my kids or how uh, do I do this or that or whatever it might be or I wonder uh, what's going to be for lunch this afternoon. Maybe those are your questions and they may be important to you. But I submit to you this morning, there is no question more important than this question, what must I do to be saved? It is the most important question. And so that's what we want to start off with this morning. The most important question, how can I be saved? The scripture tells us an earthquake had just happened. And it also tells us that the jailer was asleep. It says when he woke, now, I don't know if you've ever been asleep and then been awakened suddenly by something that was shocking to you. But what happens um, when you're kind of woke up and, and something crazy is going on, your, your adrenaline starts to, starts to flow pretty quickly. And it was no different, I'm sure, for this jailer. He rushed into the prison and his worst nightmare was confirmed. As he's looking around, the doors are all opened up. Now, if you are a prison guard and you go to check the prisoners and the doors are opened when they're supposed to be locked and they're just standing wide open, then you're probably going to assume the worst. I have my doubts that your first thought is, oh, you know what? I bet you everybody stayed in their cell because that's what prisoners do. The jailer figured they had all escaped. And he knew for him, that meant big trouble. His solution was to take his life because an instant death was far better than being tortured and then killed. And so he drew his sword And he prepares to fall on his sword, on his own sword. And he hears from inside that cell, do not harm yourself for we're all here. Now I wonder what his first thought was. I wonder if he thought, well, I gotta be hearing things. Whatever it was, he called for the lights and he entered into the prison and he saw that they were all there just as Paul Had said, and he is overwhelmed, and he falls down before Paul and Silas. And we do not know what was said at this point. Perhaps Paul told him to stand up, perhaps, because we have a record of Paul doing that before. Maybe Paul said, Stand up, we're just normal men. And then he explained that the God he served, who was a sovereign God of all creation, was the one behind the earthquake. Whatever was said, the jailer was confronted. To the point that he knew he had to come to terms with the truth of the gospel that Paul had proclaimed. After all surely he would have heard the slave girl. Remember we talked about her last week. She was running around town following Paul and Silas around and, and Paul and his companions. And she was shouting these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. Surely the jailer knew about this. So after he brings them from the prison cell, he asks the most important question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? But why is this question so important? Why is this question the most important question? Because you know what? If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you say yeah I've surrendered my life to Christ I'm a follower of Jesus Christ this is still the most important question for anybody and so you still should know why is this the most important question if somebody comes up to you and says why should I follow Christ why should I surrender my life to Christ why should I be saved do you have an answer as a follower of Christ what are you going to say to them oh well it's just a good life you know everything's great what's your answer It is the most important question because, first of all, apart from Jesus Christ, all are lost. Apart from Jesus Christ, all are lost. Listen, church, not some are lost, not a few are lost. Apart from Jesus Christ, all are lost. Have you ever been lost? I mean, it can be scary. It can be a, a scary time. I remember when I was a, a young kid, my mom uh, took me, I was attending a Christian school and we were having an event that night and I remember my mom took me and dropped me off at the school. It was evening time. She dropped me off because she thought this event was going on. Apparently... We were at the wrong location. She dropped me off and left and I sat there. I was alone. I was the only person there. Nobody else was around. This Christian school was out in the middle of nowhere. I had no idea how to get home. I had no idea what was I going to do. And I remember I was scared and I got cold. And, and it's dark time, and I had no clue what to do. And so there was these little uh, little benches where, where you could sit. And I, I remember I, I crawled under one of those little benches, and I held it up, and I just laid there. And, and I actually fell asleep. And I remember uh, I woke up to somebody out there with a flashlight, and they were yelling my name. And I, I looked out because... Earlier, I had tried to kind of walk down the street, and there was a dog out there barking, and I got scared, and, and I didn't know where I was going anyway. And so this guy's out there with a flashlight, and he's yelling my name, and I remember looking out there, and there was a police officer out there. And I remember coming out, and he grabbed me, and he took me home, and my mom was crying, and they didn't know what had happened to me. Apparently, they had already been out there once, and and I was I must have been in deep sleep because I didn't wake up or anything. And uh, uh, But I was I was lost. It's a scary thing to be lost. It's scary. It was a scary situation. But you know what's more scary than being physically lost? It is to be spiritually lost and separated from God. What is even more scary is that most people that are walking around spiritually lost on this earth have no clue. They're lost. They go through their life living it just like everyone else is living their life, here and now. And they, they give little thought, if any, to eternity. And they for sure do not give any thought to the fact that one day they will stand before the judge of all the earth. However, whether they know it or not makes little difference because it is a fact scripture is clear that everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of god according to romans chapter 6 verse 23 and that the wages or the payment of that sin is death according to romans chapter 3 verse 23 Until that jailer turned on the light, he could not see. And right now, there are many in our own town right here in Washington, Illinois, maybe even here in our church this morning, who are in darkness, they're lost, and they need help, and they can't even see where they're going. And even if they could see, they do not even know that they are lost. Until God makes them aware of the fact that they are lost, they will never cry out, What must I do to be saved? It's an important question because apart from Christ, all are lost. But it's also an important question because we will all die one day. We will all die one day. We don't live forever. So often people go through their life thinking they have all kinds of time. That they're the captains of their own destiny. When in fact we have no idea when our life will end. Church society is riddled with famous people that seem to be on top of the world and within a moment their life was gone. You know I was thinking about this as I was was going through this message and I thought about about an actor that recently, uh, pretty recently died. Paul Walker had everything going for him. He was a star, a movie star, star of the Fast and Furious movies. He was on top of the world He was a star that had money. He had looks. He had everything according to the world's standards. There were many people that would have gladly, would have gladly traded places with him to have what he had. The last thing he said before taking off with his friend in a car that would end in a fatal car wreck was this I will see you in five minutes. These are the last words he said. Moments later, he was gone off the face of the earth. Our bodies are frail, and we seem to think we are invincible, especially when we're younger. However, we're not guaranteed of tomorrow. In fact, we could go home today, and it'd be the last time that we've ever even set foot in this church. For those that know they are about to die, some would consider it a blessing. At least they have time to get their affairs in order, but the fact of the matter is this. We will go when it's time to go. And one day we're going to check out. And our life will be over. Yet the most important question in all of life, because we will all one day die, is this. What must I do to be saved? The jailer asked this question he was he was not concerned with how he looked he wasn't concerned with whether he was presentable or not he had a question that was that was uh kind of Going deep into his soul, and he needed an answer. He did not need an answer tomorrow. He didn't need an answer next week. He didn't need an answer next year. He needed an answer right now. What must I do to be saved? This question is so important because apart from Christ, all are lost, and we will all die one day. And that day may be sooner than later because we are not in control of our own destiny. It's an important question because it is the only question that matters when our life is done. It's the only question that matters when our life is done. You know what, church? We go through our lives. And there are many things that matter to us on this world. Our family, money, possessions, promotions, whatever it might be. However, none of these will get you into heaven. Your family won't get you into heaven. Money won't get you into heaven. Promotions won't get you into heaven. You can't buy your way in. You can't work your way in. You can take care of yourself. You can eat right. You can exercise. You can take all your vitamins. You can extend your life maybe a couple of years. But it will not do any good when you stand before the righteous judge of this universe. You can do all the good deeds you want. The scripture is clear that all of your righteousness is filthy rags in front of a holy God. You can go through this life being loved by family, being loved by friends, and being loved by everyone. Everyone may say, well, boy, that that person, they sure are a nice person. I really like them. I sure get along with them great. You can do all that. But it will do no good when you stand before God. There's only one thing that will matter on that day. And that is this, are you saved? And when this life is over, there's only one question that matters. And it's the response to the question that the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? The question is so important. The question is so important also because no one else can answer it for you. If you ever ask someone a question and someone else answers you know, you're like, well, I didn't ask you the question, right? And that's what you're thinking. Or perhaps you've been asked a question by someone and someone else answers the question for you. However, this question is a personal one. It must be personally answered. The jailer said, what must I do? Paul answered in a way that pertained to him and his house. If he believed, he would be saved. The same was true for his house. If each of them believed, they would be saved. Each believed and were saved. There is no group plan for salvation. You don't, you don't get to, you know, oh, I'm on the family plan. You know, it's not friends and family enrollment. It's not the way it works. We have individually sinned. We individually need to respond to salvation it doesn't matter if your parents are believers if your grandparents are believers if your aunts and uncles are believers in jesus christ it doesn't matter if your friends or your best friends are believers it doesn't matter if you attend a great bible believing bible preaching church you must respond individually to the question you must respond for yourself what must you do to be saved finally it's an important question because it has a simple answer That's a simple answer. If you have been asked a question you can't answer? Sometimes it can be so frustrating. Especially if you feel like you should know the answer. And you don't. And you kind of fumble over your words. And you you get mad. Like, I should know the answer to this question. My wife and I used to play Jeopardy against each other. We'd watch it. And we would, like, try to answer the questions. And I know we're losers like that. We'd, like, keep track of the score. And, uh... She would always beat me. My wife's pretty smart. Just so you know. She may not seem like it, but she's pretty smart. Uh, that, that, I mean, she married me, so she got to be real smart. That is, uh, you know, that's the thing. Is the answer to this question is so simple. It's so simple. It's not the case with this question where you can't figure out the answer. The answer is so simple, children understand it. Paul didn't say, well, it's going to be tough for you to figure out. It's not what he said. And what Paul didn't say is just as important as what he did say. He didn't say, well, you got to go study your Bible. You need to go to seminary in order to be saved. You got to keep the ordinance of the church in order to be saved. Maybe one day you'll discover the answer. Paul didn't say that the answer is a secret that only few know. Nor did he say, here's a list of 20 do's and don'ts that you have to keep. And if you work hard, you'll one day be saved. He answered with a simple sentence. Believe in the Lord." Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And then they sat down with the jailer. If you look at verse 32, they sat down with him and his family, and they explained it all to him. Verse 32. Which leads me to my next point. The answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. The most important question, what must I do to be saved? The answer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Church, it's not hard. Sometimes we make it harder than it is. The answer that Paul gives is what separates Christianity from every other major religion in the world. Every religion is about what you must do. Rules you must follow in order to get to heaven. But that is not the case with Christianity. Some say if you want to be saved, you have to be baptized. We call that baptismal regeneration. But that is not the case. Paul does not say that, well, you got to get baptized. Some might say, well, you have to take communion. Or you have to, you have to give money to the church if you want to be saved. Surely that's what counts. Or you have to do a bunch of good works in order to be saved. Surely that's what saves you. In fact, there are some pastors who would preach that God loves everyone and He would never condemn anyone. Just do the best you can and you will be saved. You're going to be okay. It'll all pan out in the end. But Paul doesn't say that either. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Paul gives a very specific answer and the jailer responds to this answer. And we learn from this that salvation is from God and not man. Salvation is from God and not man. When Paul says, you will be saved. In the Greek is what what is called a passive Verb. That means that the subject is acted upon. No one can save themselves by any amount of effort or sincerity. You cannot save yourself. No one can do enough good to eventually tip the scale in their favor that they would one day be saved. That, that is why Paul Paul does not say, keep the Lord's commandments and you will be saved. He does not tell him to be a good moral person and you will be saved because we cannot, Church, we cannot save ourselves. But God will save all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture is clear that we can't save ourselves. It says that we are dead in our sins. Ephesians chapter 2. It says that we are spiritually blind, Second Corinthians chapter 4. It says our natural minds can't even perceive the spiritual truth unless the Spirit of God reveals it to us. First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. We are slaves to sin who can't free ourselves unless Jesus Christ frees us. John chapter 8. We have a disease that has only one cure and that cure is not within us. We do not possess the cure. That cure is found only in Christ. God alone saves a person from their sin. We cannot save ourselves from our sin. Now, there are some that would think this perhaps is bad. But I say it is good. Because if salvation depended on us, then no one would be saved. And we would have No chance at all. However, salvation doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. Since God sent his son to save sinners, like you and I, there is hope. There's no one that's beyond God's reach. There's no one that is too far gone. There is no one. On the face of this earth, that is so lost that God can't save them because it is dependent on Him and not us. But also, we see from what Paul says that salvation comes from belief and not works, salvation comes from belief. And not works. The jailer asked Paul, What must I do to be saved? Did Paul give him something to do? Nope. He gave him someone to believe in. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is not about human effort, it's not about trying to believe, but it is about no longer trying to get to God on our own and instead relying on him alone. Saving faith is about me realizing that my own efforts will never get me to heaven and will always come up short. Therefore, I cease from trying to save myself. I cease from trying to get there on my own. And I trust jesus christ to save me that's saving faith when paul says believe in the lord jesus what does that mean let me see if i can illustrate this the easiest way i can possibly do so when you came into the service this morning and you sat in the pew you just sat down right you did not inspect the pew you didn't look it over you didn't crawl under the pew and check it out you didn't say, well, I, I wonder about this pew in this church at First Baptist Church. You didn't say, well, I need to speak with the people uh, who put these pews in the church to make sure that it's okay for me to sit in. You didn't say, I need to interview the person that made this pew because I need to make sure that they properly constructed this pew in order to meet for me to sit down in it. But instead, you walked in and you sat down. Right? I didn't see anybody inspecting pews this morning. And we don't have a pew inspection committee, just in case you wonder. Right? You just, and, and we're not going to start one. Okay? You just came in and you sat down. Because you trusted the pew. You said, this will hold me up. And so you committed to sit in it. Believing in Christ is like that. Yes, it does involve our intellect and that intellect is necessary. But intellect alone is not sufficient to save us. Instead, you have to commit yourself to the Lord as your only hope. Just like you were committed to sit down this morning because you had faith in the pew that it would hold you. You commit your eternal destiny to Jesus and you have faith that it is secure because he does what you can't do which is to bridge the gap between you as a sinner and God who is holy. You can never bridge the gap. And saving faith is to say, yes, Jesus, I trust that you bridged the gap for me. Saving faith relies on Christ alone to save us. We trust in Christ alone for our salvation and we trust Christ alone for our salvation. Our salvation is secure. It is It is a done deal. You are instantly saved. The jailer, as far as we know, never went to church. As far as we know, he didn't read his Bible. And as far as we know, he was not a religious person, but he believed and was saved that instant. Salvation is about believing. It's not, it's not doing... Uh, uh, whatever faith you want to do, uh, uh, you, you can be saved wherever it's about believing. You can, you can be in a tree and be saved, right? You can, you can be anywhere and be saved and cry out to God and believe in Him. You see, the object of our faith is what saves us. It's not the faith necessarily, but the object of our faith, which leads me to this. Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. What did Paul say to the jailer? Believe and you will be saved. No, he didn't say that, right? Sometimes we we make it that. Believe in something that is beyond you and you will be saved. No. No. Believe in yourself and you will be saved. Now again, he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now, because the jailer in his family had a limited knowledge, if any, of Jesus, verse 32 says they spoke the word of the Lord to them. Now, we don't know all that was said to them. Perhaps they covered some of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah and showed how Jesus fulfilled them. Perhaps he spoke of how Jesus is both God and man and talked about his life and ministry, and certainly he taught the jailer about Jesus' death on the cross and how he died as a substitute for sinners and how he rose again. Listen, we have faith in all kinds of things, but faith is as only as good as the object that the faith is placed in. Do you understand that? You say, Listen, I can have faith in a parachute with a hole in it, and I'm gonna die. Because I have faith in this object that can't save me. Now, what I want us to understand is that there are millions of people who believe in a Jesus of their own understanding. They they believe in the Jesus that they have made him out to be and not the Jesus of the Bible. And they would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but the Jesus that they believe in is a figment of their own imagination." They perhaps believe in a Jesus that's not fully God, or they believe in a Jesus that didn't satisfy the wrath of God by shedding his own blood on the cross, or they believe in a Jesus that doesn't judge sin. We could go on and on with the false Jesus that we see all over America today that that people make up in their mind because they don't want to serve the Jesus of the Bible. In order to have faith that leads to salvation, There has to be some basic understanding of who Jesus is and what He has done. You don't have to be a theologian, but you have to understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that God sent Jesus to pay the price for that sin. And Jesus came and lived a perfect life and paid the price and He rose again. There is some basic knowledge of who Jesus is and what He has done. And that knowledge comes from God's Word. Now here is the thing if we were to ask people if they had faith in Christ, there are many that would say, yeah. Many. However, does that mean that they have faith that saves them? Here's the thing. It's possible to have faith that does not save. In fact, I wrote a paper when I was working on my master's degree in seminary that I titled, Faith Professed Is Not Faith Possessed. It is possible to have faith that does not save. Scripture tells us that the demons believe and they are not saved. So this begs the question, how can a person know if they have saving faith or not? And unfortunately, the answer to that question is one in which many people steer away from because it is far easier to just say, well, well, we have faith and we don't need any evidence of it. It's far easier to say, well, you know, you just, you just believe. You just believe and you'll be saved. That, that's kind of the easy way. And nobody ever wants to preach or talk about this last I want to share with you this morning, and that's this. Saving faith always brings a changed life. Saving faith always brings a changed life. I do believe this is part of the problem today. People run around saying they have saving faith, but there's zero evidence in their life that they have a saving faith. You know, if I step out on the main road here, on whatever road you want to call it whether you want to call it Peoria or Route 8 or Washington Street or whatever you want to, I, I've heard it referred to three things this morning <laughs> if I step out here right and I get run over by a semi is there going to be any evidence I was hit you know if I step out there and you guys are all watching and BAM Will there be evidence I'm hit or am I just going to pop right back up and look normal? Yeah, there's going to be some evidence, right? Now, if you have Christ as your savior, is there going to be evidence? What's bigger, a semi or Jesus, the God of this universe? Now, I'm not saying that you're going to be perfectly sanctified because sanctification, that's a big word, but, but uh, basically what that is is a progression of you becoming more like Christ in your life. I'm not saying that you're going to be just like Christ when you accept Jesus. It, it's a progression until we reach heaven. No one's ever going to be perfectly sanctified. However, everyone that has experienced saving faith will be different. Salvation is not just a decision of the will. This this seems to be the main issue. So often we think that salvation is all about our decision, uh, this decision that I made. And that's not salvation. Salvation is God imparting a new life into us and changing our hearts. And as we said last week, changing our will. That's salvation. He changes your heart and life and will to be in conformity to his will. That is salvation. This is why we read in 2 Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, you know it. They are a new creation. We see this with the jailer and his family. First, we notice that they were all baptized that is a change i am certain that paul explained that baptism is an outward symbol of what has taken place in the heart and so often today we've confused baptism with salvation however it is a way that we show others that we have placed our faith in jesus christ it is in fact an act of obedience demonstrating a changed life showing that christ has cleansed you from your sin and that you are identifying with him in his death burial and resurrection It shows that you are a new creation. You are no longer a slave to sin, but you are a committed follower of Jesus Christ, and you want the whole world to know it. And so we see this first change in the fact that the jailer and his family are baptized. Not only were they baptized, demonstrating a changed life, but as we read here, they also ministered to Paul and Silas. It says that they washed their wounds and they gave them food to eat. You say, well, big deal. Well, yeah, it's a big deal because before this salvation, the jailer threw these men into prison while he went to bed. He wasn't going to lose any sleep over them. Now here he is humbly serving them in a practical way because this is what salvation does. It changes you. Saving faith brings about change. Salvation has a way of taking and reorganizing our priorities. And and rather than living for self, one begins to be sensitive to the needs of others. Your attitude changes, your outlook changes, and it changes because you now love the Lord. And you're grateful for his gift of salvation. Also, look at verse 34. It says that the whole family rejoiced. Because of their new faith. Salvation not only affects our attitude and our actions, but you know what? It affects our emotion. Think about this. A few moments before, when the jailer had thought that the prisoners had escaped, he was suicidal. Right? Just a few minutes before, he's ready to fall on his sword and in his life. And now, a few minutes later, he's joyful in the Lord. They're singing praises, even though an earthquake had just happened. Listen, saving faith always brings change. A changed life, salvation affects every area of our lives. This is why it's the most important question. Anyone could ask in the whole world. This is why the question is, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Let me ask you this morning. What is the most important question in your life today? Do you know Christ as Savior? You know, I have found so often that we can get so busy on things that we think are important. We get focused on solutions to problems and sometimes the problems themselves and we ignore the most important matter for all eternity. What we fail to understand is this, we can't truly live until we die. And we spend all of this time just trying to live. We spend all of our time on earth just trying to live and accomplishing little in life. But when we die, surrendering our lives to Christ completely, we truly live. The question, the most important question, how can I be saved? And the biblical answer is believe in the Lord Jesus you say well pastor I've been in church all my life I don't care have you answered the question do you believe in the Lord Jesus I don't care how long you've been in church I don't care how long you've you've you know, had Christian parents. I don't care if your grandparents were Christians, your family. Like we said, it's not It's not the friends and family plan. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith, knowing, given up all of you and say, God, you got to take me. I can't do this on my own. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you done that this morning? You know, once I was asked to go and preach at a youth retreat, youth um, retreat that they were having in Iowa. And I went there, and uh, the, the youth pastor didn't know me, but I knew a guy that helped him in their youth ministry, and he they would asked me to come and speak, and, and I said, listen, I said, I just want you to kind of know, sometimes I'm not looked at as a normal speaker, and I get loud sometimes and that sort of thing, and oh, that's all right. And I remember I, I went there and I preached the message, on salvation and they had youth leaders that had been leading their teenagers for years that weren't saved. But that night gave their life to Christ. Church, I don't care how long you think you've been a Christian. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? Have you placed your faith in him? And so this morning I ask you, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? And if you would say yes, if you say this morning, yes, pastor, I know for sure that I'm going to heaven. Yes. I've surrendered my life to him. Then you know what the follow-up question is, church, right? Because I ask you this every single week. I mean, this is what I present to you on a weekly basis. The Then the follow-up question is, if you say, yes, I know for sure I'm going to heaven, then I ask you this, are you impressing, impressing on the lost people today the urgency of salvation? Are you sharing this important message with those that don't know Christ? That they need to be saved. Church, we're surrounded by lost people. They're in our town, they're in our state, they're in our nation. They're in our world, lost, blind, stuck in darkness, and they don't even know it. They don't even know it. We're surrounded by lost people. What are you doing to present the urgency of salvation? Are you sharing the gospel with them? Are you sharing the gospel with friends, relatives, neighbors? Are you looking for ways to share the gospel beyond your realm of influence? I've shared with you on numerous occasions, and I'm still looking for one person from our church. They'll say, Pastor, sign me up. I'll go to Haiti with you. I'm going in July. Are you willing to take the gospel beyond your sphere of influence? When one person signs up, I'll quit mentioning it. Just come and say, I want to go. I want to take the gospel beyond my realm of influence. And are you taking the gospel to your realm? How urgent is this question to you? Have you answered it first of all? And are you giving the answer to those that are lost? Maybe the Lord's spoken to you this morning. Maybe you've heard him speak to your conscience this morning. And you say, I, I don't know Jesus. And you want to respond to that? I, I'm going to be standing down front. You don't have to come down front. You can wait until everybody's gone and grab me later and say, hey, I want to know more about this. But I just want you to know I'm going to be standing down there. If you want somebody to pray with you or, or pray over you. Or maybe this morning you'd say, you know what, I, I am saved, but... but uh, I'm not taking the gospel even to my sphere of influence or I want to go beyond my sphere of influence, whatever it might be. Maybe the Lord has spoken to you this morning. I'll be standing down there. I'd love to pray with you or talk with you. If you want to wait till later, you can do that too. But however your conscience has been spoke to, would you respond this morning? We're going to pray. We're going to sing a song and give you a chance to respond to that. Let's go ahead and close a prayer.